This is episode 15 of the Kindred Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Sue Allen. Thanks for joining me today. I have a wonderful interview with mama and author Shauna Lettler about her essay, The Fervent Prayer of a Ragged Woman, that we featured a few months ago. We talk about the struggle to meet our children's individual needs, about how God answered one of Shauna's desperate prayers, and we also talk about Shauna's book that we'll be releasing soon, titled Remarkable Faith, When Jesus Marveled at the Faith of Unremarkable People. Shauna is a delight, and I hope you enjoy this interview. This show is supported by One Day's Wages, a grassroots movement of people, stories, and actions intended to alleviate extreme global poverty. This organization is captivated by the idea that everyday people have the power to change the world. By raising awareness and inspiring people to give simply, One Day's Wages has supplied nearly 3,000 mothers with better maternal health care, 2,500 children with access to pediatric care, and they are working worldwide to empower under-resourced families and communities. You can join their movement by making a donation or starting your own fundraiser to help fight poverty. Learn more at onedayswages.org. Today I have with me Shauna Lettler. Shauna, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm so glad that you're here, and I would love to have you introduce yourself and your family a little bit. Great. Well, I am Shauna Lettler, and um, I'm married to Kurt. We just celebrated our 20-year wedding anniversary last month, and we have three boys who were born in less than three years, Um, so we were very busy. Uh, Actually, we still are, but just in a different sort of way. (laughs) We live um, in South Dakota in a very outdoorsy um, area of of the U.S. So I enjoy writing. I write on a blog, and um, I have just... uh, nearly almost released my first book so Mm -hmm. well I'm really excited to hear about that towards the end of this interview I can't wait to ask you a few questions about it yeah awesome well um a few months ago you shared uh, an essay with the kinderbaum community called um the fervent prayer of a ragged woman and I would love for you to read just an excerpt of that just so we can give the listeners a context for the conversation that will follow Very good. I'd be glad to do that. Wake, feed, dress, transport, bathe, times five kiddos. I was a childcare machine, and I do mean machine. I was a cold, unfeeling maternal robot programmed for quick response. Our home had become an institutional parenting operation with gaping holes where love and discipline and nurture should have been. While everyone was being fed and clothed, the lack of individual attention was showing up in constant behavioral episodes. I had been begging God for months to either change my heart or my circumstances. Over and over, I went to his word for clues about what I needed to do differently. Pray more, pray better, pray like the fervent person in the book of James whose prayers were powerful and effective. I prayed. 
but the fervent prayer of a ragged woman doesn't always sound so nice. God, don't you see how badly this is going? Do you know how wrung out I am? Do you care that these kids are dying for individual attention? I can't give it to any of them because I have a logistics problem, a one to five ratio. The only mother-child activity I could possibly manage is to have them help while I cook, but my boys are interested in fishing, not cooking. There was no answer, and I went to bed in tears. Well, thank you for sharing that excerpt from this essay. I did want to mention that you go on to tell a little bit about an interaction that you had with one of your children around making cookies. Can you describe that just a little bit to give them the context of the rest of the essay? Yes, I sure can. Um, It was an evening. Um, At the time, I just in my introduction told you that I had um, three boys, but at this time, we were also caring for two little foster girls. So the children in my home were ages two, three, five, seven, and eight. And I was busy. (laughs) Um, So I had several of them in bed and I was ready to, quote, clock out, as I like to refer to it. Um, And my oldest son brought me a little cookbook, a full color like magazine cookbook and said, mom, can we make something out of here? And I was just really wanting for all the kids to be in bed and to kind of be done with my day. It was a Christmas magazine. And I just thought, you know what? I have nothing. I have none of those ingredients. Yeah. And um, he said, would you just check? So I flipped through there and I happened to see one with only four ingredients. So I read it real quickly and I happened to have all of them on hand, which is no small miracle in itself. Yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, we went to the kitchen and we had, I don't know, about 20 minutes of uninterrupted Christmas baking in April. In April, um, that's amazing. <laughs> I know. Um, so anyway, the next morning, it, it was a, it was a no-bake recipe. And um, mm-hmm. so we had to chill it overnight. And the next morning I served him one of those little cookies. And um, just to describe it for our listeners, it was a it was pastel mini marshmallows mixed with chocolate and you kind of formed it into a log and refrigerated it so that when you sliced it up, the cookies appeared to be, you know, polka dotted or these pastel polka dots in chocolate. So I thought, hmm, I wonder what those are called. And so I looked at the, um, the magazine and, uh, I saw that they were called cathedral windows and, It almost felt like a shock to me because after my prayer, if you want to call it that, which I do, (laughs) the, um, the day before, I just felt like I had been, you know, hollering at the ceiling and receiving no answer. And it was as though the Lord was saying to me, I do see how badly this is going. (laughs) Um, I, there is, there is no block on this window between you and me. I do see, I do care, and I do know. And the more I thought about it, it was as if he had almost checked off my little complaints. And yeah. I, you know, had complained about, well, you know, the only thing I could have them help me do is cook. And in my mind, I'm thinking, that's no help at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was almost as if uh, he even acknowledged that. And it was a no-bake recipe, you know. Um, So it was just very humbling and I would say shocking 
Um, Not so much in a positive, I was shocked in a positive way that God would be so merciful to answer my complaints with such grace. And so it was just a very memorable, I guess, almost an illustrated example of his care and attention, not only towards me, but also towards my children, because, you know, my concern was for my children, that that they weren't getting the individual care and attention they needed. And I didn't see any way that that could happen, but the Lord did, and he made a way for it to happen. For sure. I definitely relate to not feeling like they're getting the individual time. I do feel that, you know, my children have what they need and they're cared for and they're loved. But there is always that question mark of, am I giving them personalized individual to this one child what they need from me? Or is that going to come from somewhere else? Because it's very hard to be spread thin. And um, you mentioned uh, towards the beginning of the essay, I loved how you described this because it's so true to my experience, (laughs) institutional parenting operation. (laughs) And um, I feel like that really speaks to the idea that there are times that we just have to do what is necessary. And sometimes out of our exhaustion or our weakness, that comes at the expense of our tenderness or really stopping to see our children. And I would just love to know from you if there are ways that you have built in or learned how to maybe slow down and see what your children need from you or how you might be able to recalibrate if you get into that mode of just doing what's necessary and maybe not with as much gentleness as you mean to. Boy, I wish I had a good answer for that. Um, And I don't feel like I do at all because that is something that I have struggled with pretty much all of parenthood, (laughs) particularly when they were little. I am a kind of person who likes a list and I like to check things off. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think, well, I have five kids and they all need to go in and out of the tub. And so you dunk them and pull them out and dry them. And (laughs) assembly line. (laughs) It's exactly right. Um, And that is how it felt. And I think it takes kind of some low moments for me to recalibrate. Otherwise, I don't really. I'm kind of a creature of habit also. I remember when my oldest, this might be kind of embarrassing, but um, my oldest son was nine and I was still bathing him. And my husband said to me, why are you still bathing him? And I, <laughs> I just thought, because I always do. This is what I do every night. I bathe all of them. And so I'm a bit of a creature of habit. And so it takes uh, kind of a low moment for me to recalibrate. One thing that has helped me into better behavior <laughs> um, is thinking just about the way that I speak to my children, because in that driving box checking mentality, I end up barking orders. And um, I did some substitute teaching for about six years on and off, and I would never speak to the children in my classroom that way. I cared for a friend's children and they had one really kind of tender-hearted little girl and I would never speak that way to her. And so when I had to recalibrate, I would say, is this how you would speak to Ava? No. <laughs> so um, that's about the only tip uh, yeah. I can think of. Yeah, I think it just sometimes has to do with being able to recognize. It's, I do myself feel like I am going along with whatever needs to be done. The train is moving and the train is yeah. going to run over anything that gets in the tracks. And just being able to slow down and sometimes take a look in the mirror 
not mm-hmm. for the purpose of devaluing ourselves because I think mamas work so hard and yep. um, are really most of the time really trying to do their best but just stepping back to remember that our children aren't just little you know mess makers <laughs> that they are yeah. little people who are looking to us to fill them with good things with encouraging words with helpful teaching moments and I definitely struggle with this myself as well especially around bedtime when everyone oh is you know they're wound <laughs> up and I want them to wind down <laughs> yeah yep yep it made me also think of the gap between what we ideally want to do uh, for our children as parents and the reality of the demands of parenting not always matching up sometimes the things that we have on our plates that do have us tired and worn out sometimes it's hard to see what our children need at that given moment because our plates are so full. If you have anything to say to other mothers who have so much going on with their household or even beyond their household, if you have any thoughts about how to make space on the plate for cluing in to what our household needs from us at that given moment, do you have any thoughts about that? Well, the first thought that I have... um is I think often moms make it more difficult on themselves by setting the standard too high or placing unrealistic expectations on ourselves from a spiritual perspective and for the Christian mom who is hoping to, you know, mother well and to the glory of God, she will be concerned about doing, you know, mothering in a way that pleases her father God. But I think we sometimes impose our own expectations on God. At least I can certainly speak for myself when I say that. Um, And so when we end up being disappointed with ourselves, we assume that God is probably disappointed with us as well. And that is not always the case. What we have to do is go back to the scripture and his word and find out what he actually requires. And the good news is that God will grant what he requires. You know, here I was thinking, oh, I must have individual quality time with all five children. And the Lord knows my life and he knows each of those kids. And he wasn't requiring that from me at that time. He's gracious and merciful to grant what he does require. The second thing you you mentioned just about uh, making time for those needs when your plate is already full. I wish I could offer a formula because I love formulas. <laughs> <laughs> They're so gratifying. Um, <laughs> yes, it is. It's like plug in the numbers and it will work. Um My advice would be take it to the Lord, even if your prayer sounds kind of ugly, like-minded, and ask Him what He requires of you at this time. And if if there's anything you're overlooking, ask Him to show it to you. And I know that's not a formula. No, and we're not looking (laughs) for a formula. But that is what I would do. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I think that I have been really enamored with the concept of simplicity for the last probably eight or nine years. And the book that I originally read that kind of brought this about in my life was called The Freedom of Simplicity by Richard Foster. And he talks about how um, simplicity is not only something that we can aspire to as like an ideal, but it's also something that gives to us Um, because I Mm -hmm. used to be so afraid to let things go or to clear our schedule out. 
Pursuing simplicity really just makes space for the things that are most important. The more I simplify, the more I need to simplify, and um, not just to check the boxes, but the more I discover that I can kind of surrender my expectations or the pressure that I put on myself as a mom, um, because I'm seeing now that my children are at the ages that they're at. They have such sweet relationships with each other and the ways that they care for each other, especially just serving each other in small ways that it's really a joy to me to see that and I don't know if that would be the same dynamic if we were a much faster pace go and do everything do every single activity make sure we get to do every sport every (laughs) you know simplifying things has really been my route towards (laughs) trying to just have the space enough to see or change the dynamic of our family in a given season if that's what we need to do yeah absolutely and speaking of that when we were in this season of five little ones eight and under i attended uh, a bible study at my church but i um stopped going after a while. We did not do our Wednesday night program at our church because Thursday morning was an absolute train wreck because we got home late and everyone was tired and the schedule was off. And I did not have my boys in any sports or activities because I could not corral two toddlers on the bleachers or in an open field near a street. (laughs) Um, so we just didn't do anything. And, um, I shouldn't say we didn't do anything, but I definitely cut out some things which were very good things, but they just weren't feasible for us at that time. And I'll just tell you another quick story about activities. My oldest son, they actually, three, all three of them had wanted to be in soccer and where they hold our soccer practices. It's just, it's a, it's a busy area and um, I knew I couldn't do it. But the week after our two little foster girls went home, We got a little flyer in my oldest son's school folder that said, basketball team is starting. If you want to join, open to anybody. And um, he showed it to me and I was able to say, yes, that will work for our schedule. So felt like a blessing to me and also a blessing to him that he did get to finally do something. We just had to delay the activities for a little while. So I think when we can remember that some things that we think are essential are not necessarily in the essential category. Like we might really want to involve our kids in one activity or another, and there may be a time that that is feasible and appropriate. And other times it might be a non-essential thing. I think that's just really freeing to see how... how simple we can make things if we really are longing for that kind of connection. Thanks for sharing that. I do really want to hear more about your book, which I have not yet been able to read, but I hope to soon. But I would love for you to tell us about it. Well, it is called Remarkable Faith, When Jesus Marveled at the Faith of Unremarkable People. And I always want to use finger quotes around the word unremarkable because I use that kind of tongue in cheek. But um, the book, in some ways, um, not in some ways, in every way, arose kind of out of this time in my life where I was busy and I had five kids and I was pretty sure I was screwing everything up all the time. And um, I was pretty certain that God was disappointed in me and the way I was mothering and the way I was behaving as a 
wife and a Christian. And some of that, I think, was, you know, what I talked about before, a self-imposed standard that God actually wasn't holding up for me. But some of it was... Uh, legitimate. <laughs> I really wasn't doing a very good job in some areas. Um, and so I worried that um, I wasn't, uh, that my faith was not good, <laughs> for lack of a better word. Um, I wasn't doing hard things that many other people were doing. I wasn't caring for a medically fragile child. I wasn't participating in mission trips. I mean, I could barely get supper on the table. And when I did, uh, felt like no one wanted to eat it. Um, so I went back to the scripture, basically just to get my head on straight and um, just look for what the Lord would have to say to me from his word. And um, he led me to the story of Peter's great catch in Luke chapter five. If you've been in Sunday school for any amount of time, maybe you've heard the story that um, Jesus was teaching on the shore and the people were crowding around him. So he asked Peter if he could sit in his boat and teach the people. And Peter let him get in his boat. Jesus taught when they were done. Jesus told him, push out into deeper water and throw your nets over for a catch. But they'd been fishing all night long and they hadn't caught anything. And Peter told him so. Um, But of course, we know they did have a huge catch. And to me, it was a picture of the gospel. It was as if the Lord was showing me through his word and through this particular story, you can work and work and work like Peter did all night long and have nothing to show for it, so to speak. But in the story, Jesus did for Peter what Peter couldn't do for himself. He filled up his boat with fish, which meant income for Peter. Had he sold those fish, which he didn't, he left them on the shore. <laughs> but um, <laughs> to me, it was just a picture of, you know, the Lord, I don't know, just gave me a great sense of relief that I may work and work and work and huff and puff and pant trying to do all the right things. But he has accomplished for me through Jesus what he requires. And it just was a huge relief to me. I sat down at my computer and I retold that story to myself, um, just as I imagined it happening, that I had read it so many times. It was so vivid in my mind. I, I don't, I can't explain it any other way except for, you know, a prompting of the Lord to sit down and write it, write it down at my computer. Um, and I typed it out and it read a little bit like a short story. And when I was done, I thought, wow, that felt like worship. And I thought I would really like to do that again. And so I started looking through um, my Bible just for other stories that kind of gripped me. And what I found was whenever Jesus commented about someone's faith in a positive way, they were all the people that you would not expect. Um, We don't know them by their names. We know them by their afflictions. So, you know, a hemorrhaging woman and a sinful woman and a paralytic and a blind beggar. And we don't know their names, but what Jesus had to say to them was, um, your faith has saved you or he marveled at their faith, or he noticed their faith. So I just thought that was a a fascinating concept. And then I went and retold those stories to myself, basically. (laughs) And and Remarkable Faith is the collection of those um, eight stories um, about people whose faith Jesus remarked about. That's so wonderful. And I'm even more excited to read it (laughs) now that you have shared that. When is it available to people? It releases officially on July 11th. 
So um, I'm not actually sure if that means it ships from Amazon or your online retailer on the 11th. Um, is that I'm, maybe that's what it means? It's coming soon. It's coming soon. <laughs> yeah, just a couple weeks. So so exciting. Yeah. Thank you for sharing, and thanks for sharing this essay with our community as well. I just think it's lovely to see that sometimes in our um, our weakness and what we maybe don't feel like we have to give to our families, that um, God does make us able to answer um, what is needed at that time yeah. and fill in the gaps for us. Absolutely. Yep. Thank you for sharing. And I hope you have a wonderful day. I am glad to share. It was my pleasure to visit with you. When Shauna mentioned that she was a cold, unfeeling maternal robot program for quick response, I had to laugh because that is me on a semi-regular basis. Mobilizing six children to get out the door for an errand or through the bedtime routine for lights out takes some grit. And in the effort it takes to get everyone moving in the same direction, it is easy for me to grow impatient and skip the gentle words. This is a struggle for many of us with little ones. As mamas, we often have a unique window into our children's hearts and what they might need at a given moment. I treasure this view into the unfolding personalities of my kids. Even though I come up short on patience and there are stretches of time that I barely have my head above the water with all the demands of life, I pray that I would have the ability to turn my attention to each one and truly see and hear them individually so that as they are building core beliefs about themselves, I can intentionally pour encouragement into them. Shauna brought to light that mamas often make things harder on themselves by setting unrealistic expectations, and I would take that one step further and acknowledge that because we have so many opportunities to compare ourselves to other moms, and especially the curated, whitewashed social media lives of other moms. Each one of us is navigating a barrage of messages about what does or doesn't make us adequate or valuable as mamas. I would guess that maybe you have felt pangs of inadequacy at one time or another, as I have. In May, we featured an essay by Jenny Scott, who described herself as a divorced and remarried mom of two whose life has been far from perfect and completely different from what she planned. The essay she contributed to our community was titled, To the Woman Trying to Measure Her Worth, and it contained these powerful words. We keep evaluating ourselves with an ever-changing ideal and then wonder why we can't find peace in who we are. We're using the wrong standards. Ladies, the length of your eyelashes isn't a measure of your worth. The label on your shoes can't give or take away your merit. The circumference of your waist doesn't make you more valuable or detract from your inherent importance. The grades on your kids' report cards don't validate your mothering, and the messes in their rooms don't mean you're failing. The likes you get on Facebook mean nothing about who you are, and the followers you have on Instagram don't make you a woman of significance. The number of times you worked out this week doesn't mean anything about the woman you really are. The cash you have in their bank account is not a measure of your value, and the debt you're fighting to pay down doesn't mean you're worth any less. We want to quantify our worth based on what we can measure. If we can calculate it, we think we can count on it. I'd love to remind you of a truth we forget. Our worth is immeasurable. I'm so grateful for those words from Jenny Scott. Your worth is not measurable, mamas. To wrap up this episode, I have a blessing to share by Dorina Lazo Gilmore. 
Darina is a multicultural children's author and mama of three girls. When her story took a dramatic turn three years ago, she started writing for adults too, specializing in walking women through grief. She writes, Mamas, God does not call us to be perfect in our mothering work. He doesn't judge us for our mistakes or shame us for our shortcomings. He wraps us up like a newborn in a blanket of grace. When we feel weary, may we give ourselves space to rest and time to chase His glory even through the hard and harried days.